But for the Christian, every day, no matter how dark the storm, no matter how dark the night, every day is a happy day, right? Amen. All right. You didn't get with me on that one, but I'm going to get you before the sermon's over. Uh, I do want to say before we, we turn to the Word, uh, what a privilege it is to be here. Uh, and I got to tell you, Forest Baptist Church, 150 years looks good on you. So happy birthday. Uh, belated happy birthday. And uh, there you go. And I want to say a, a word of personal appreciation for your pastor. Uh, pastor Bishop is a man of God. He's faithful. I've seen him walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And I know you love him and, and your first lady well, and how faithful and loyal you are to him and his ministry, and how you give thanks to God for him with me. Also, I'm so grateful for Kevin Jones and Jimmy Butts, your pastors, who are not only uh, colleagues in the fight, but they're friends in the faith. And I'm so grateful for them, for their families and their ministry. I'm also, I gotta just say, grateful for that, that good looking woman who's sitting down there. Uh, I am married to one woman. And the Lord says, he withholds no good thing from those whom he loves, and she is my good thing. And those three little ones are all right, too. Okay. That's enough of that. Let me get to the word. Uh, I would ask if it's, I don't know if it's your custom, but I would ask if you're able to stand for the reading of the word. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 23. Deuteron I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. And as you're turning to Deuteronomy 29, we're going to read the very last verse of that chapter. Uh, I suspect if you're like me, you have children in your home, you've ever had children in your home, the most common question you ever get asked throughout the course of the day multiple times is, why? Why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we not do it this way? Why did, you know, Jimmy's family does it this way. Why don't we? Why can't I have that? Why, why, why? And at some point you just say, because I said so. But our children are filled with the question of why, and they're not just our children. We are filled with questions of why. Why does this happen? Why am I going through this? Why does this seem so painful? Why? You look at our country. You see wickedness in high places. You ask God why. You see injustice and you ask God why. Some of us looked at 2016 and asked God, why? You see religious hypocrisy that presents itself as, well, it presents itself as whatever it does, but it's really just hypocrisy. And you look at our communities, you see systems that are failing our youth, and you ask, why, God? You see a generation leaving the church, you ask, why? You see our children killing one another, and you ask, why? You see strife, division, Hostility even in our own city. And you ask, why? You can just look in our own homes and families and you'll see marriages that are broken, broken and breaking. You ask, why? You see young women victimized by men ending up alone and pregnant and you ask, why? You see children wandering from the Lord and you ask, why? At least I do, maybe you don't. And if we're honest, the Lord often seems silent. So before we read this text, let me tell you the big idea. In this life, we don't have all the answers we want, but through Christ, we have all the truth we need. Let me say it again. In this life, we don't have all the answers we want, but in God, in Christ, we have all the truth we need. 
So let's read this passage now. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Thanks be to God for his word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we need you now. We have sung your praises. We say you are worthy of honor and worship and adoration. And we want to now sit under the authority of your word. We want to have our hearts shaped and reshaped by it. So Lord, I ask that you would now give me clarity of mind and precision of speech. Holy Spirit, guard my tongue. Let there be nothing that comes out of my mouth that is not in accordance with your truth. But Lord, help me to tell the whole truth. And Lord, would you give all of us not only ears to hear and hearts to receive, but also wills to obey all that you say. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, just uh, in recent days, as I thought about this message this morning, I couldn't help but think of the news that came out of Parkdale, Florida, the morning of Valentine's Day, February 14th, just a week ago, barely a week ago, when a young man entered the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School with an assault rifle that he purchased legally, and he proceeded to open fire on his teenage peers, on children, and on teachers, and he killed 17 of them. It's not the first of these tragedies, is it? And something, if we're honest, tells us it won't be the last. Meanwhile, our elected officials appear incapable or unwilling to do anything to actually protect our communities, to protect the vulnerable, to defend and uphold peace. And in communities, not just in Parkdale, Florida, but in communities all over this country, mothers and fathers who have lost a child to gun violence cry out, How long, O Lord? They cry out, Why? God's people have always been acquainted with this experience. This is not new to 2018, is it? It is part of what it means to walk in this life with God. I want you to consider with me the context here in Deuteronomy and listen carefully. The context is this. After 400 years in slavery in Egypt, Israel, separated from its homeland, driven to work and to toil for a wicked empire that had suffered generation after generation. And God seemed silent. I don't think you heard what I said. Generation after generation, wondering how long, O oh Lord, will we suffer under the slave master's Egyptian cruelty? And God seemed silent. But there came a moment on the backside of a mountain, wasn't there, where a bush was mysteriously on fire? And God said, I have heard the cries of my people. God sent a deliverer, Moses, and those people were led out of their captivity, out of their bondage, out of their slavery. But their wandering was not over, was it? 
Wandering wasn't over. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of the disobedience of that generation that was emancipated. And now at the end of this book, at the end of Deuteronomy, God renews his covenant. He restores and renews his pledge to his people. A covenant with their children. He gives them his word, his law, and he instructs them as they prepare in the final days to enter into the land of promise. To enter into that land that had been given to them as their inheritance, that had been promised to them by God himself. So why this text? Well, look at what it says. Two, a couple things. One, the secret things belong to the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord. We all have unanswered questions. I trust if you have a heartbeat in your chest this morning, you come into this room with some questions you would like answers for. In the middle of suffering, we are filled with questions, aren't we? This morning, I'm confident of it. Israel knew this in Egypt. And we know it in our own pain. The Bible's full of this. The psalmist, for example, that he writes, and Jesus, make no mistake about it, Jesus quotes it on the cross when the psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that experience of forsakenness, the psalmist has to ask why, and Jesus asks why. For some this morning, perhaps it's a diagnosis that changed everything. One doctor's appointment that seemed to change your whole world. For others of you, perhaps it's a marriage that seemed to start with such promise and such joy. All those warm fuzzies and smiles on your wedding day. But that marriage has been broken. There's pain. There's been wrongdoing. For others, it's a, a wayward child who has left the church. And you lay at night praying for that son, for that daughter, asking why. For others, it's the betrayal of a friend. You got any of those? A friend who once seemed so loyal and true, but now you look in your back and you find a knife wound. You ever had that? And you wonder why. For some, it's the death of a spouse. Taken too early. Or maybe taken as late as you can imagine, but still taken. And you are hurting. For some of us, it's just the daily grind and the toil of a life where it seems like the deck is stacked against you and you can't seem to get your head above the water. And in our pain, we wonder, why, God, why? Well, I'm here to warn you, don't trust any religious system or counterfeit Christianity that gives you a simple answer to the dynamic of why. Don't trust them. You can drive pretty much any mile in any direction from this church or any church in this city, and you will find counterfeit forms of Christianity and other religious movements that will tell you false narratives about that question. Don't believe those that tell you that suffering is just because you haven't had enough faith or because you failed to name and claim some blessing. Don't be hoodwinked by those religions that tell you that you just have to find some special key to unlock all the mysteries of the universe that will then do away with your suffering. No, to walk with God will bring suffering. And walking with God will look more like Job. Remember that book? 
Walking with God will mean looking like Job, who even though he couldn't trace God's hand, he could rest in God's heart. That's why Job can say, and you can say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Say it with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the middle of suffering, not only in the middle of suffering, in the middle of uncertainty, we want quest answers to our question of why, don't we? Not just suffering, but uncertainty. Maybe life hasn't worked out the way you expected. Maybe your dreams haven't materialized the way you had thought they would when you were a young woman or young man and you thought the whole world was at your disposal. You could do or be anything you wanted to be, you were told. And you wonder right now, you wonder if you'll make it to the end of the month, less, much less the end of the year. You can't seem to get the job you're hoping for, the promotion you've been working for, the spouse you've been praying for, the pregnancy you've been pleading for. And maybe right now it's just the future seems so unclear to you that it causes you to fear. What will tomorrow bring? But this passage, this single verse, tucked away right here at the end of a chapter, at the end of a book, has all we need. This passage, in all of its infinite and profound depth, it assures us that it is good news, hear me, it is good news that the secret things belong to God. Good news, here's why, look with me. Why is it good news that the secret things, the unanswered questions that you have and that I have this morning, why is it good things that those belong to the Lord? It's good news. Why? Well, look, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is, in other words, the all-powerful creator of the sovereign ruler of the universe. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing. There is no mystery to the Lord of the universe. Nothing unknown. There's no uncertainty for the one who made the universe by the power of his word. What does that mean for you and for me? It means if he is the Lord, if he's the creator, if he's the ruler of the universe, then he is strong enough, powerful enough for you to lean on. He can hold you up. But he's not just the Lord. Did you see it? Look at what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. He's not just the Lord, he's the Lord, our God. This is, look at, the, look at the letters right there. You see those all capital letters on Lord? This doesn't just mean that he's the creator. That is his particular covenant name with his people. When you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, that is Yahweh. That is his name that he revealed to Moses on the backside of that mountain when he says, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go because I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am your covenant God. So when he says he is the Lord, our God, this is not just a powerful but distant God. This is not just a mighty but remote God. This is the God of the universe who enters into relationship with the children of men and he pledges himself to his people. He is committed to them. He's not just any God. He is our God. And I wonder if he's your God this morning. I wonder if you know this to be true of yourself. Can you say that he is your God? If he is, then you know exactly what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans 8.28 when he rejoices. We know that all things... What does it say? 
We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If he's your God, you have confidence that it is all things working together for your good. Paul didn't come up with that. That's right here in Deuteronomy 29. So no matter how fierce the storm might be, and we had a fierce storm last night, didn't we? No matter how dark things may seem, no matter how deep the valley may be that we walk through, the Christian is the one who can rest because God is their God. So it's good news. You've got to hear this this morning. It's good news that the secret things, the mysterious things, the unknown things, they don't belong to you and to me. They belong to the Lord our God. But look what does belong to us. Moses says, the revealed things belong to us. The secret things belong to the Lord. The revealed things belong to us. In other words, God gives us precisely what we need. He gives us his revelation. When, when Moses talks about the revealed things, the things that are revealed, what's he describing? This is just another way for Moses to describe the written word of God. God's spoken word communicated to Moses and given to his people. And throughout the entirety of the Bible, when we see the, the reference to the revealed things of God, it is always a reference to his scripture, to the Bible, to the word of God. And the implication is clear. We would not have this if God did not give it. We, don't, we didn't come up with this. The Bible is not some invention. It is not some creation of men. It is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God. It is revelation. This is the language of possession. I don't know if you saw it. Language of inheritance. Language of birthright. These things, Moses says, belong to us. But they're revealed things. They're given to us. Well, have you ever had a treasure that you couldn't access? A treasure that was yours, but you couldn't, get, you couldn't get hold of it. I've been thinking about this a little bit. In recent days, the Wall Street Journal reported on Bitcoin. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Bitcoin. I had to learn a little bit about it. It's a form of apparently what's called digital currency. You can't hold it or feel it, I guess, but it's worth something. So we're told. But in, in recent months, this digital currency has boomed in value some 1,000% in just a few years, in fact. And people who made relatively small investments back in 2014 are now sitting, many of them, on small fortunes. Now, the value has fluctuated, so if you bought in at the wrong time, you may not have ended up with a fortune. But some of these folks bought in and now sit on small fortunes. But this article in the newspaper told the story of one particular frustrated group. What do you do if you don't remember your Bitcoin password? <laughs> How many of you have passwords you can't remember? I'm, you know, I, it's a struggle. Imagine the torture. Let me read to you from this story. Philip Neumeyer says Philip Neumeyer bought 15 bitcoins for around $260 in 2013 when he was deciding whether to accept the currency on his own website. Now that his cachet is approaching $300,000 in value, $260 to $300,000, he's hoping to recover a long-forgotten password. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet he is. 
He's considering, the article says, he's considering hypnosis, but for now opted to build a supercomputer and tries, that tries to use brute force to crack the code. The five-foot-tall computer system is working so hard that it sits in a 270-gallon tank in special mineral water to disperse the heat it generates. Still, Mr. Neumeier figures it could take a couple hundred years to run through all the possible combinations of letters, numbers, and symbols. I should probably be about 332 years old by then, says Neumeier, but hopefully the Bitcoin will still be worth something. Can you imagine having that kind of wealth that you didn't, I mean, he invested $260 and now he's sitting on a, on a bank account of $300,000 that he just can't seem to get access. It's there, but it's not good for anything because he doesn't have access to it. He can't remember this password. Well, God's people, don't we know God's people have a possession infinitely more valuable? Infinitely more valuable. And yet, let's be honest, we sometimes feel unsure of how to access that treasure. It's like we've lost the password or something. Let me put it another way. A preacher friend of mine recently shared a story of a woman who sent her son off to college, sent him off to the university. A nice 18-year-old man who thought he had the whole world in front of him. And she sends him off, his mother's due, with everything she had. Did the best she could. He comes home, though, for his fall break, Thanksgiving break. How's it going, son? Well, Mom, it's, it's hard over there at the college. I'm working hard, but I don't have enough money to do the things I need to do. I can't put gas in the car, and I can't take that young lady out to dinner and a movie. And I'm struggling, Mom. I need money. She said, well, son, did you, did you read the Bible that I gave you when I sent you to school? Did you pick up that Bible that I gave you? He says, Mom, I don't, I don't need a Bible. That Bible can't put gas in my tank. says, I don't need a Bible, Mom. That, that, that Bible doesn't put money in my account. He says, Son, did you, you should read the Bible, son. He says, if you'd opened up that Bible, you would have found that I had tucked $300 bills right there in Psalm 23. Right there in Psalm 23 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So if you kept reading, you would have gotten to Philippians 4.19. You would have found another $100 bill where I tucked it in where it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. So son, all you had to do was just pick up the book and open it. So whether it's Bitcoin or that, whatever it is, all you've got to do, Christian, is pick up this book to get the treasure. It's all in here. Now, I'm not saying when you go home and you open up this book, $100 bills are going to start falling out. If they do, call your pastor. But what I can promise you, what I can guarantee you is that every time you open up this book, not some of the time, but every time, no matter how you are feeling, no matter what your emotions may tell you, when you open up this book, it does its work. There is treasure here for you and for me. So let me give you two words of exhortation on this point. Read the Bible. That may sound so obvious, doesn't it? Read the Bible. What pastor or preacher doesn't say that? Read the Bible. But here's the principle. You can't have a growing relationship with Jesus if you don't have first a relationship with this book. Your relationship and your growth and intimacy with Jesus Christ will only grow as your relationship with his book grows. You've got to know this Bible. Never before, I don't think, in Christian history has a people lived with the Bible so readily available. 
and yet been so biblically illiterate. Let's just own it for what it is. This is, this is our problem in our churches. We've got the Bible. I don't know about you, but if I go home, I've got multiple Bibles in my office, around my home. I've got them on my, on my phone, on my iPad. I can get the Bible pretty much anytime I want. And not only can I read the Bible anytime I want, I can have it read to me. I can listen to audio Bibles. I can, I can go and hear biblical preaching, not just at my church. I can pull up on YouTube sermons at any given time. The Bible is so available to us, perhaps more than it ever has been to any generation of God's people. And yet, look at us, we don't know our Bibles. And I can tell you, you don't need a graduate degree for this. In fact, you might have a graduate degree, all kinds of impressive education. But if you don't study the Bible, you will never come to know Jesus. This is why the saints before us sacrifice so much to have access to the Bible. So much. This is why Frederick Douglass told of how as a young man, do you know this story? As a young man, Frederick Douglass told years later that he would scour the streets and he would find loose pages of the scriptures in the gutter. And he would take them home and he would gently clean them off and dry them out just so that he could read one more page of the Bible. And look at us. Look at us. These things gather dust in our homes and we doubt the power of the word. If you want to test this, the power of the word. This is why, by the way, if you'll let me go on a little bit longer on this one, this is why saints who came before us referred to this book as the talking book. You ever heard that? Been around some older Christian who said, son, that's the talking book. What do they mean by that? This is the only book that when you open it, it reads you. You read every other book, but this is the book that reads you. When you open the word of God every time, not some of the time, not half the time, every time God speaks. He talks through his word, no matter whether you feel it or not. So you can rest confident every time you sit down with your tea or your coffee or your water or whatever, your kombucha. I don't know what you like to drink when you read your Bible. But every time you do that, God will speak to you through his word. You want to test this right here at Forest? I can make a prediction. Because there are folks like this in every church. Find that church member right here at Forest who just radiates Scripture. You know that, that brother or sister who every time you say, well, I've, I've got to go, you know, I've got a hard thing going at work right now and things are hard, and they just immediately respond with Scripture, you know. And you eventually you go, come on, is this, is this like a party trick? Like you, you start kind of going, that can't be for real. No, I'm telling you, it's for real. Find that person who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, who knows his word, and when you, when you prick them, when you stick them, Bible just comes out. You will find there is a person who walks closely with God. You'll find what the psalmist is describing in Psalm 1 when he says that the person like that is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. The principle right there, if you want the roots of your faith to go way down deep, so that when the flood comes, you won't be uprooted. That's what he's talking about in Psalm 1. You saw it last night in this storm. If you're going to be that kind of tree that will stand the flood and the storm and the wind, you better have some roots that go way down deep past that top level of soil, but you're going to need them to go way down deep. 
And the only way that happens, the psalmist is saying, is if you know the Word of God. So read the Bible. Get yourself a good study Bible. Practically speaking, how do you do that? Get yourself a good study Bible. It'll make you, when you get to Deuteronomy, you'll go, I can handle this. You got a little help. It'll make you read through parts of the scripture that are a little more challenging. You can do it. Get a good study Bible. What you might do this year is commit to reading the whole Bible. I know it's about March, but you've got 10 months. So you might have to move fast, but you can still read the whole Bible. Teenagers, come of you in here, some of you in here. You can do this. This isn't just for the old folks. You can read the whole Bible in a year. You can do it. Maybe even just the whole New Testament. You got 10 months for it. What if today you committed to taking that kind of challenge? Imagine what God might do in this church and in your family and in your home and your school and your community if you were to commit to reading the whole Bible in one year. Let me give you another word practically. Hope as, hope, hopefully it's pastoral. Sing the Bible. Don't just read the Bible. Sing the Bible. We did it this morning, didn't we? Praise the Lord. Sing the Bible. Did you know, I trust you do because I know this is a church that loves the Bible. Did you know that so much of the scripture was given and intended for us to sing it? We, we, we have often in our churches forgotten this. This is why Paul commanded the church at Colossae. Not a suggestion, but a commandment. Hear what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. When the word of Christ dwells in you, it's going to show up in song. So sing the Bible. Let me tell you how this works. You better have some songs in your heart that will serve you well when everything around you is shaking. You better have some songs, some biblical truth in your heart that will carry you when you're sitting at the side of a hospital bed. You better have some songs that you can sing, sing when you're putting that loved one into the ground. A lot of the songs that are passing now in our churches can't hold up in the middle of that suffering, in the middle of those dark days. We need some songs like the generations that came before us, songs filled with biblical truth. Songs that say, no matter what I'm going through right now, I know that my Redeemer lives and that He will not abandon me, that He's with me, that He walks with me. In fact, it may just be, Jesus loves me, this I know. But what's the rest of it say? For the Bible tells me so. Even if that's all you've got, that's biblical truth. You're going to need it. Look at what else he says. The revealed things belong to us, but this inheritance, this possession, this stewardship is an inheritance for all generations. He says the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. What does he mean by that? Well, the, what he means is that the promise is not limited just for that first generation. This promise isn't li limited just to those Hebrews centuries ago about to enter into Canaan. No, God is here promising that he will continue to do his work. He will not limit his work to this generation, but that God's word would abide for all generations to come. It would never go out. The light would never be extinguished. Let me encourage you in this. You, you may have no earthly or material inheritance to leave to your children, 
You ever wonder about that? There's some godly grandparents and parents in this room who tonight wondering if I were to die tonight, what would come to my children? I have nothing to give them. But when you give them, when you give them the word of God, you give your children a treasure of infinite value. So Christian parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep reading the Bible to your children, to your, those teenagers who you think aren't even listening. Keep reminding them of the truth. Keep bringing them to church, no matter what they tell you. <laughs> Keep bringing them to church. Keep singing those songs in the car, those old corny songs that you think they don't want to hear anymore. If they're biblical truth, keep singing them. Sing them at the breakfast table. But let me also say this. Don't be confused by this promise either. You don't get this treasure simply because of who your mother was. You don't get this inheritance simply because of who your father, your earthly father is. There is a warning and an invitation right here in this reality. There's a warning. Having Christian parents or grandparents won't get you to heaven. That's the warning. Having Christian parents or grandparents or family members won't get you to heaven. Personal faith in Jesus is required if you're going to lay hold of this treasure. He is the password that opens up the treasure. He is the code that opens up the riches of heaven. If you don't have Jesus, you won't have this. That's the warning. But here's the invitation. God is in the business of taking those who are far off and bringing them home. He is in the business of giving those who are on the outside an inheritance directly from himself. So I can tell you again, it doesn't matter who your mother or father was. It doesn't matter what religion they were part of, what church they were part of. It doesn't matter how far off your family came from, how broken your background is, how much pain you've been through. No matter where you've come from, God calls all men and women to himself to trust in Jesus Christ and this promise is for you. You can have the revealed things of God as your birthright, as your treasure. It's a promise for you. Look at what else it says. It's an inheritance that fuels obedience. Oh, now you're like, oh, I don't know. Time's up, Pastor. Uh, no, look at what it says. These things belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do do all the words of this law. Now let me be clear. This is not an obedience to earn God's salvation or favor. Moses isn't saying, if you do these things, you will earn God's salvation. He's not saying, if you, if you read your Bible enough, if you go to church enough, if you do enough good things, you can get your way to heaven. That's not Christianity. You can't possibly do that, right? You and I were conceived in sin, and apart from the emancipating power of Jesus' work for us, we can never be set free from our bondage to sin. So you can't be moral enough. You can't. Some of you know this. You can't change your ways. I don't know where you were last night, but you know you can't change your ways on your own strength or power. You can't be holy enough on your own to deserve God's salvation or favor. In the Bible... In God's economy, and God's design, grace always precedes obedience. It always comes before obedience. But don't, don't miss this. It always produces obedience. 
Grace always precedes obedience, but it always produces obedience. So let me ask you a diagnosis question. When's the last time that reading your Bible confronted you and it demanded a course correction in your life? If you are just reading the Bible and it's just reaffirming everything that you already do, something might be missing. You're going you're gonna to dodge. I'm not a Lamar Jackson fan. I'm going to go ahead and admit that. Don't, don't hate me now. But I don't like Lamar Jackson because of how good he is. That guy is, the man can turn, it's like Barry Sanders. You remember, I mean, I know Pastor's a Detroit guy. Like Our generation, I remember watching Barry Sanders and Lamar Jackson's got it too. He can turn on a dime and move and the tackler goes right by. And some of us have an ability to do that with the Word of God. We say, I see it coming at me and I'm going to sidestep and make that tackler miss me because I don't want it to hit me in the mouth. So let me ask you, how good is your juke? How good have you gotten at juking the Word of God, trying to avoid those parts of the Scripture that you know are going to hit you in the mouth, that you know are going to confront you and demand that you change the course and the direction of your life? If it's been a while since you've been with a Bible on your knees and brought nearly to tears because you've been convicted of sin, and you've been aware that there is a pattern of thinking, of behavior, of living that is out of step with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, then you might need to go back and ask the Lord, would you break my heart? Would you give me a tender conscience? Would you give me a heart that is sensitive to your Spirit? And do the work that you want to do in my life, Lord. I submit myself to your Word. Even Christians, we need to hear that, don't we? We need to be reminded of that. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a Christian... This is your birthright. This is what belongs to you. This is what belongs to the people of God. And at the end of Black History Month, I hope if you'll indulge me on this, I, what, what greater inheritance belongs to God's people? In the middle of suffering, in a, in a nation that says, you're not even human, you're three-fifths of a person. In a nation that says, we can take the slave masters, whip to you and beat you to death and call it righteousness. In a nation that perpetuated Jim Crow for decade after decade after decade. In a nation that tried to suppress the dignity and the humanity and the brilliance of black men and women. In a nation that to this day incarcerates a generation of young men. In a nation that to this day were to be young, male, and black on the street is dangerous. This is our inheritance. I don't care what the skin color on your body. This is the inheritance of God's people. And I think at the end of a month like this, we of all people in a room like this this morning should praise God because of the inheritance that is ours. And this, by the way, is the history of this church for 150 years. This has been a church that has stood on the word of God the revealed things of the Lord. This promise is for every one of God's people. It's for the weak and the strong. It's for the rich and the poor. It's for the powerful and the oppressed. It's for the educated and the lowly. It testifies to the impartiality of God's grace. Aren't you glad that God is impartial? Aren't you glad that he doesn't say, no, these revealed things, they belong to Moses, but I'm not going to give them to the common folk. 
Aren't you glad that God doesn't say no? The revealed things. Well, Aaron, he's the great high priest. We'll let Aaron have them. He's got the education. He's got all the nice clothes. No, no, no. But no, God says these are for the whole people of God. The revealed things belong to all God's people. And if you're a Christian, this is yours. So treasure it. Give thanks to God for it. Pass it down to the next generation. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you've not been in church in a long time. Maybe you've been coming to church for a time. I don't know. But you're not a Christian and you know this morning, even as you hear my voice and as you hear the word of God preached, you know that you're not a Christian. You know that you don't know Jesus. The most urgent call for you this morning is to come to Jesus. I want you to read your Bible absolutely. The people who you're sitting with, they would love nothing more for, the, for you to go home and read your Bible absolutely. But reading a Bible won't make you a Christian any more than me sitting on an airplane makes me a pilot. The only hope, the only one who can make you qualified for this inheritance is Jesus Christ. The revealed things of God won't come alive to your heart until the Spirit of God makes you new by the new birth. He takes out that old heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. And only Jesus can do that by his Holy Spirit. And when he does that, I can promise you this, when he does that, he will lead you. He will walk with you. He will comfort you. You know about the comforting power of Jesus this morning? Some of you do. He will be your advocate and shield your refuge. He will cleanse you of sin. That sin that you think, no, you don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> that might be for everyone else in this room, but not for me. You don't know what last week looked like for me. You don't know the things I've done. No, I do. Jesus, I don't know them, but Jesus does, and he will cleanse you of sin. He'll cleanse you of guilt. He'll cleanse you of shame, and he will, Jesus gives a future and a hope. A future and a hope. That means for God's people to whom these revealed things belong, there will come a day when there will be no more questions of why. This is what sustained the generations before us, didn't it? When their questions of why were never answered, they knew that on the other side of Jordan, they knew that on the other side of death even, they knew that the revealed things of God promised them what? I will be with God forever. I will know no more pain, no more suffering. I'll have eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. So whatever life may bring now, I can weather that storm because I know where this goes. Fullness, endless eternity of joy and peace in God's presence. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It has everything in it that we need for life and godliness. We confess, Lord, that we have neglected it far too often. We have underestimated it. We have undervalued it. But it is powerful. It is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So we confess, Lord, our, again, our, our weakness, our frailty, and our need for you. We ask this morning, Lord, that for those of us who know Jesus your word would do its work in us this morning. We trust that because you've said it, that your word never returns to you empty. It always does the work you send it to do. So do that work in us this morning by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning, 
who maybe have wandered from the church, it's been a while, or who, who never have known Christ, we ask, Lord, that this would be the morning, that through your word, you would bring sinners home, that you would bring those who've wandered far off, who've strayed, bring them home, Lord, that they would claim this inheritance that is theirs through Christ, and that you would get the glory. You are worthy of all praise and worship, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.